16 and 17. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 and 17. Our thoughts this morning is really simple on the rapture and the tribulation, really just establishing the fact of them. Not a lot of detail about them, but establishing them that they are real events that are going to take place in the very near future. I think we need to establish that first before we ever get into some of the details of what's going to happen and some of the things that are going to lead up to those things happening. Uh, but 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16 and 17 it says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout. That's going to be an amazing thing right there, isn't it? With the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord, whereat? In the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Let's pray. Father, help us as we look in the word of the Lord this morning and just establish the teaching of the rapture and the tribulation from your word. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, to have open hearts, open minds to the scriptures. And Father, I pray so much, Lord, not only just for your people, Lord, I pray for lost people here today, Lord, don't know Christ yet, that teaching on this subject would somehow rattle them through the word of the Lord and through your Holy Spirit and that you would get a hold of them. And Lord, that they would come to realize that they're not ready for the coming of the Lord. And if they're not ready for the coming of the Lord, then Lord, they'd be left behind to face awful tribulation that, that, that this world has never seen. And so Father, I pray that it would shake them this morning and rattle of their, their core, Lord, that they would see that they need Jesus Christ, that they are doomed for destruction. If they do not repent of their sins and believe upon Christ who died on the cross for sinners, and that they would flee the wrath that is coming and flee to where Christ bore the wrath upon himself on the cross of Calvary for their salvation. Help us, Lord, to rejoice as your people and receive comfort in the coming of the Lord. And I'm thankful, Lord, that we can focus on that this morning. Bless us, we pray, from the word of the Lord, and help us to be reminded that your coming is soon. In Jesus' name I pray, and amen. If you've been a Christian for any time at all, then you've no doubt heard the term rapture, and there are other parts of Christianity that do not even believe in a rapture or a catching away of the saints. That's what that word rapture speaks of. It comes from a a Latin word which means to catch away uh, or to be caught up. And so that's the meaning of that word. Though the word rapture is not found in the Word of God, uh, what the meaning of the word rapture, uh, it is there in regards to the catching away of the saints. So the rapture of the saints has to do with the catching away of the saints or them being caught up by the Lord Jesus Christ. As we read in the Word of God, uh, when he comes in the air. Uh, notice the language there in verse 17, we shall meet those who are dead in Christ. When they rise, we shall meet the Lord in the air. Um, this idea of a rapture, I believe it's very clear right here. If you just receive the word of God as it is written, uh, right here in 1 Thessalonians 4, very clear, verse 16 and 17, that there's coming a time when the Lord's going to come back the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up with them to meet the Lord. Uh, so we'll be caught away in an instant, in a moment. Now we shall be caught up with the dead, departed saints uh, to meet the Lord in the air. Now, so some people read this and say, well, where's the departed saints at now? If they are uh, right now, if, if they're being resurrected from the grave, does that mean that their souls are in the grave? That doesn't mean that at all. The Bible teaches that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so those who have already died and gone on before us, here's what we don't think about sometimes. Uh, they don't have their glorified bodies yet. They're in heaven. They're with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be with the Lord. But they've yet to receive their glorified bodies. Let me read a passage for you. We'll refer to it again later. Uh, but look in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, I know to seasoned Christians, a lot of this will be very elementary, but take it as a, as a good reminder. And also, listen, we have a lot of young people. I haven't taught on this in a while. They need to hear it. We need reminded of it. 
uh, people maybe haven't been to church in a while. They need to hear these things. So, yeah, so, well, I know all these things, preacher, but maybe we need to be reminded. And, and, and other people need to learn it too, right? I'm sure that when you heard it for the first time, there were people sitting there that already knew it. And so, uh, anyhow, th- these things are important for us to think about. Uh, th- this, simply what we've already taught this morning, already goes against a lot that's taught among the realms of Christianity. I've already said some things that goes against what a lot of people would maybe believe. Uh, one is, and who, who was I talking to this morning about purgatory? Who was that? I was talking to somebody this morning about purgatory. Who was that? Huh? Well, Steve, yeah. I mean, what I said already goes against purgatory. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And um, anyhow, 1 Corinthians 15. See, my mind isn't completely there, Steve. I didn't, didn't even remember who I was talking to this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now, here's what's happening right now. that The souls of, of the believers are already with the Lord. He's going to bring them back with Him. You can read about the souls of the believers in the presence of the Lord in many places in the Word of God, especially in Revelation, talks about the souls of the saints at the altar. That's where they're at. But when the Lord comes back, He's bringing them back with Him. We see that uh, already in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 uh, because it says this, it says in verse, uh, four, verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. God will bring with Him those who sleep. So they are with Him now, and He's bringing them with Him when He comes back. So when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, He's bringing the souls. We think about the Lord coming back. When He comes back, He's bringing the souls of all the redeemed of heaven with Him at the same time. And they're going to come, and in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, their body is going to resurrect to unite with their souls, and it's going to ascend into the heavens, and then we are going to be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. What an amazing thing. That's going to happen. So you really believe that's going to happen? You betcha. (laughs) It's going to happen. That's the rapture. Now, that great change that will come about will be brought about by the powerful and irresistible voice of Almighty God. We also find in 1 Thessalonians 4 that it will be accompanied by the voice of an archangel, which I believe to be Michael, and also the trump of God. So we have the voice of God, uh, the voice of the archangel, likely Michael, and then the trump of God. These sounds shall signal the, the coming of the Lord for His saints and will mark the beginning for us as the people of God of eternal enjoyment. Now, there's a lot of things going to happen after that. But there, from there on out, let me tell you what, it's going to be great for the people of God. The rapture will also mark the saints' deliverance from what is about ready to happen here upon the earth. Now, I believe that there will be about a seven-year tribulational period upon the earth in which the wrath of God will come down upon the inhabitants of the earth. Now, the wrath of God isn't coming down that full seven years, but will really intensify in the three and a half years. Now, it's because of this glorious truth and reality that Paul, at the end of describing what we have come to call or terminate or, or refer to as a rapture, where he says in 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. It's because of this truth that we, as a people of God, receive great comfort. Listen, if I believed that I was going to have to live through the tribulation, it's not very comforting to me. Receive great comfort because you're going to be alive when the wrath of God comes down upon this earth. That doesn't do much for me. Now, here's some questions we need to ask. Is, uh, we got Paul teaching this, but did Jesus ever say anything about something that would look like what is being called the rapture? Well, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.15, he, he says this, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. And so when he's talking here about what we're calling the rapture, 
He says, we say to you by the word of the Lord. Now this may just mean that his words are divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they are, and so he's speaking with divine authority. Or it may also mean as well that Jesus Christ himself taught uh, this principle of the rapture uh, while he was upon uh, the earth. And I believe Jesus referred to that. There are several passages we can look at, but we'll only take a glimpse at, at a couple things to, to lead into that. But turn back, if you would, to the book of John in chapter 11. John chapter 11. We're going to flip around a little bit today. Uh, John chapter 11. Now, here is... Uh, where Christ is about to raise Lazarus. Uh, but there's something to take note of here. In verse 25, Jesus says unto Martha there, He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And So what does that have to do with, with the rapture? Well, the only part of the rapture that this has to do with is there's going to be some people who are living who shall never die. If we are alive, when, uh, when the Lord comes back, we don't have to die. Just like in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, We which you are alive and remain. You realize you may not have to die physically? If the Lord comes back, we may not have to die. I remember, I've said this before, but I love thinking about it because it's a very vivid memory uh, that I have of raising my children. Uh, but Will was really little. I mean, he was a young guy. He was probably five years old, I'm thinking. How old was he? Four, tracing members. He was four years old, and he was just terrified of death. He was a, he was a deep thinker uh, back then. He really was, but terrified of death. And I remember being by his bedside and telling him, well, Will, you may not have to die. And so I, I use that to begin to explain to him about how that we who are saved and know the Lord, and then when Jesus comes back, we don't die. We just go to be with Jesus. And that's what he needs. But I use that as an opportunity to tell him about Jesus, salvation, why he needed Christ. And that if you know Jesus, you don't have to die if, if you're alive when Jesus comes back. And that's the truth. We don't die. Death is swallowed up in victory. And that's a wonderful truth to think about. I mean, one of the reasons I want the Lord to come back is not just to see Jesus, but there's a bonus in this. You don't have to experience death at all. Do you realize we could be that number? I believe the coming of the Lord is so close. And we're going to get into some of that when we get into talking about end time things later. But we could be among the number. I believe we're right there, folks. We're so close to the coming of Jesus Christ. We could be the ones that the Lord has ordained to be here when He comes back and to never have to taste death at all. Oh, to be alive when Christ comes back and seeing the graves burst open and the saints going up and us going with them and never tasting death. There will be some who will live and believe upon Christ and shall never die in that sense. Physically live and never die. Now, that doesn't really teach necessarily the rapture, but the principle of never dying physically. But look over in John 14. John 14, Jesus is about to leave and, and He's trying to comfort His disciples. And he, one of the things he, he does to comfort them is to promise them that He's going to come back for them. But notice the language here in John 14, 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, where is the Lord at now? He's, he's with the Father in heaven. And where are we going to be at when He comes back? We're going to go be with Him. Now, Jesus makes it clear that there's coming a day when He's going to come back and receive us unto Himself. That where He is, there we may be also. So we will be with the Lord. Now, also take note that, that He spoke this in a manner to those present 
that it was a, a hope or an expectation for them. He wanted them to live at that moment like he was going to come back. Now, we know it wasn't the Lord's plan. He didn't come back. Uh, but he wants us to live in that same manner, that hope and expectation of the coming of the Lord. Now, the Father's house is in heaven, which is where he's going to take us when he comes for us. It is not on the earth. The Father's mansion is not here on the earth. And here's the significance. We read in 1 Thessalonians 4, we shall meet the Lord in the air. That's not the same thing as when the Lord comes back with His saints to the earth. He's coming back with His departed souls in the air for the rapture, but there's coming another day later, it's commonly known as the second advent, when Christ comes back with His saints, not just to, to the air, but to the earth. And that is different. The Bible talks about in Revelations 5, I'm trying to set a little bit of a time zone here for you, I'm not filling in all the, as much details as we possibly could, but a little bit of a time frame. In Revelations 5 and verse 9, it says this, And they sang a new song. This is in heaven. This is, I believe, after the rapture. I believe the rapture, if you look in Revelation, I believe the rapture is taking place uh, there at the end of chapter uh, 3. Anyhow, we'll get to that some other time. Uh, but in verse 9... It says, and they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the, the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. When the Lord comes back the first time to get to saints, we're going to meet Him in the air. Go be with the Lord then we're coming back with the Lord. And while we're up there, it's all breaking loose down here. you got the, the, the Antichrist, the, the beast, the false prophet. Uh, all of those things are taking place. And there's, there's stuff going on in heaven as well. Um, one of the things will take place, I believe, during that time is going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, the Lord's bride, uh, His church will be unveiled for all the hosts of heaven to see. And then we're, we're going to come back with the Lord to reign on the earth. <laughs> I can't even imagine. I, I love talking about the millennium. There's a lot of mystery there, but there's a lot that's not a mystery, and we'll get into that some later. Now, let's look at Matthew 24. This is definitely, if you would say, the clearest uh, in regards to some of the words of Jesus regarding the, the teaching of the rapture. But Matthew 24 Verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So you don't know the day or the hour, but then he says, but, as the days of Noah were. So he's giving you a little bit of a hint of how things are going to be. Okay? You don't know the day or the hour, but I'm going to give you some clues. <laughs> You're not going to be absolutely certain of the day and hour, but I'm going to give you some signs. I'm going to tell you a little bit about what it's like when I, when I come back. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. What's he saying? It's, listen, it's going to be life on earth as it has been. In other words, there's going to be people, there's going to be wedding days on the day that the Lord comes back. There's going to be people just sitting down to eat when the Lord comes back. In other words, it's going to be life as usual for a lot of people. But what, what's also interesting about the days of Noah, it was one of the most wicked times that the earth has ever seen. So wicked that only eight, God saved only eight people at that time. The wickedness of God was, the wickedness of man was so great that God poured down His wrath upon all of the earth. It says in verse 39, did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, it's going to happen instantaneous, in a moment, when man does not realize it's going to happen. Then verse 40, then two men will be in, in the field, one will be taken and the other left. That sounds a little bit like a rapture, doesn't it? Catching away. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. 
Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. And that's the main point of what Christ is saying. When you, when you go back, Christ has been asked some questions about the signs of His coming. He spent some time on that, but He spent most of the time just saying, you need to be ready at all times. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now listen, so any time you hear anybody saying the Lord's coming back this day or that day, listen, the Lord might come back that day, but they don't know that. <laughs> I, I remember being a little boy, I, used to, I was so scared of the coming of the Lord, and I remember this passage that, that nobody knew the day or the hour. And, and so I was kind of had it in my mind, well, if I said the Lord was coming back today, the Lord wouldn't come back today because I couldn't be right about the day of the Lord. I used to think pretty deep, too, when I was young, okay? Even though the logic isn't there, but anyhow. So I used to get up. There was many times I'd get up and say, the Lord's coming back today. And then in the back of my mind, I'm like, he's not going to come back because I said he was. Isn't that silly? That's how you think as a kid, you know? I was so scared of the coming of the Lord. Let me tell you, what, that's one of the things that, that changes instantly when you become a child of God. You're not afraid of that anymore. I used to be so scared of the coming of the Lord, and the preachers would talk about the rapture and the Lord coming back, and I would think about the, the Lord catching away, you know, my parents or my loved ones and, and me being left behind. I would think about those things, and it would, it would make me afraid. Folks, I think it should make people afraid. It should make them think about the coming of the Lord if they're ready or not. It, it's not meant to be spoke upon so that you will make a false profession of faith and just try to get yourself right with God. That's not it. But it is given as, as a message of warning from the Word of God. Judgment is coming. God's people are going to be removed from this earth and the judgment is going to be great here upon this earth. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, you have not repented of your sins and put your faith in the Son of God who died on the cross of Calvary and believed upon Him to save you, you will be left behind to experience the wrath of Almighty God. A catching away. I remember being young and thinking about that and being fearful about that coming. It's going to happen, as 1 Corinthians said, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. In other words, it's going to be so instantaneous, you're not going to have time to get ready for it. It's going to happen so quick. You're not going to have time to go, uh-oh. There's no time for uh-oh. There's no time, oh, i got to get ready. No, time is over. So the main thing is to know today that you are ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. There's only one way to be 100% ready, and that is through redemption of, from, from your sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the purposes of the timing of the rapture is, is to deliver us from the wrath that is to come. You know, the Lord gives the example, I, I think, of the days of Noah. As it was in the days of Noah, it will be a sudden but also, something happened in the days of Noah. God delivered His people 100% from that wrath, completely protected. In like manner, the Bible talks about Lot, as it was in the days of Lot. I think, again, referring to uh, the, the sins of the day. And we're, we're there today, as it was in the days of, of, of Lot, as it was in the days of Noah. Now, one thing that's interesting to me, and I've said this before, but I'm sure you all, haven't, all of you haven't heard it, but... With our day and day in which we live, how that the rainbow and how it's used today has connected Noah and Lot. <laughs> the rainbow, of course, was given after the time of Noah, the flood, as God's covenant promise. And Lot, the days of Lot, the fire and brimstone, the sins of that city was great in regards to sexual immorality and homosexuality. So two of the greatest judgments of God upon the earth. And so days of Noah, you got the rainbow, the days of Lot, the sexual immorality. And I'm sure there was sexual immorality in days of Noah too. But we have a connection now. I mean, now we have the rainbow. I think we, there's our sign, if you would. The days of Noah, we have the rainbow. It, it's right in front of us. 
The rainbow is the symbol of the days of Noah for us, of God's covenant they made that He would not destroy the earth by water ever again. He won't destroy it by fire, but not by water. But it's God's promise. It's right there. Days of Noah, rainbow, bam, being misused to represent the times of Lot. Folks, we are so close to the coming of the Lord. I can get I get so tore up. I tell you, I didn't listen to a lot of sermons this week, but I watched more news too than I have as well. And uh, you can get so tore up about things so quick if you let yourself. But the Lord is coming back to make all things right. But let us let us move on here. But so so the Lord is going to come back, and when He comes back, we will be delivered from the wrath uh, to come. Now in First Thessalonians four and verse sixteen. Here's some things we have here. First of all, we see a shout. A shout. Now, this is the Lord's shout. The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Uh, what's it going to be like when God shouts? I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, we, we don't have a clue, do we? We do not have a clue. Um, he wouldn't have to shout, but He's going to shout. Um, He says, the Lord Himself, so a very personal return. The Lord Himself shall return with a shout. Will descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of an archangel. So He's going to shout. The voice of the archangel is going to be there as well. And, and so the Lord Himself is going to shout to resurrect the saints and to translate them into a glorified bodies. Uh, I've often wondered sometimes, well, what is he just going to yell out like a victory yell, or is he going to speak words? I think he's going to speak words. Um, what, what will those words be? I've often imagined what they may be. I've heard suggestions of what they may be. Uh, we really don't know. Um, maybe it's uh, come up hither. Probably not in English, of course, but, <laughs> but it's going to be something that says that. Um, I like Sona Solomon that says, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. <laughs> Maybe it's that. I don't know. Maybe it's neither one of those. I like what he said to Lazarus. Pretty simple. Lazarus, come forth. Maybe it's going to be children. Come on. You know, it's time to go. Uh, I don't know. Uh, so whatever it is, Jesus is going to say it with a shout. He'll use His powerful voice to summon all the dead bodies of the saints from their graves, wherever they may be. That they were burned at the stake, it will not matter. If they were cast into the sea and drowned in the depths of it, it will not matter. It doesn't matter where their, their dead bodies are at, He shall gather them there together, and, and the Lord will bring them together with a new body and unite them with their souls that are with the Lord now, and they will instantly be clothed upon with new bodies in a twinkling of an eye. And in that twinkling of an eye, we, these bodies will all of a sudden, miraculously, be changed into the glorious image of Jesus Christ. In a moment, in an instant, that's going to happen. Say, preacher, if you've never heard that before, you're, saying, you're sitting there thinking, that's some pretty crazy stuff. Yeah, but it's the truth of God's Word. And this is the Lord's plan. And this is going to take place. What power there must be in the voice of God. Job declares, God thundered marvelously with His voice. Great things does He which we cannot comprehend. We can't comprehend the power of the Almighty's voice. The psalmist stated, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundered. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. I can't imagine what that's going to be like. Then we find it's going to be accompanied not only with, with the shout of the Lord, but with a voice, with the voice of the archangel. We're told there uh, in uh, verse 16 of 1 Thessalonians 4. Now, I believe this to be the archangel mentioned in the Word of God uh, to be Jew or to be uh, uh, Michael, he's found in other places. But in Jude uh, verse nine, uh, 
there's some reference here to the coming of the Lord throughout the book of short, short letter of Jude and talking about the judgment of God to come. Uh, in that passage, and we see in verse 7, he talks about uh, the vengeance of eternal fire mentioned, uh, those who deny authority, the, the judgment of God. Uh, but anyhow, he mentions Michael in verse 9, the archangel, and contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation. And so there he's just saying even Michael wouldn't rebuke the devil. I tell you what, we need to remember this. When we see prophets, so-called prophets or apostles on TV rebuking the devil, let me tell you what, they're doing something that Michael the archangel himself would not do. I don't, I don't like it when you hear people just, I rebuke you, devil, I rebuke you, devil. Let me tell you what. You better be careful of anybody that would speak like that. That's just a side note, okay? Take that in your pocket, and you'll need that later if you watch enough TV. Um, but anyhow, uh, Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. That's as far as you can go with that. The Lord will take care of Satan. The Lord gets you Satan. Not me, the Lord. Anyhow, and so it, from the language here, it's obvious that Michael has some sort of, uh, has something to do with the dead bodies of the saints. Now, and so that's why I think it may be Michael, maybe another one. There's a lot of them, I'm sure. Uh, but we have this one mentioned as the archangel. He is the reigning angel. Um, I believe that he's a, uh, the, the angel in charge of heaven, if you would, that's above the other angels uh, with the word archangel. Um, but anyhow, without going into detail about that, uh, I think that he's the one that will come back with the Lord. Uh, there may be other angels as well with him. I think there will be. Uh, one of the parables talks about him sending forth his angels to, to the other parts of the earth at the time of the harvest. So I think there's going to be more than Michael the archangel, but Michael the archangel will be there, I believe, really close with the Lord uh, when he comes back. Um, it just seems appropriate that, that Michael would accompany Christ uh, in the rapture here as we've read there in 1 Thessalonians 4. But here we have a trump mentioned in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 also. And we already read 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52. We won't read that again. Uh, but this trump was a trump of deliverance and victory. It signals the end of all of us as believers of our struggle with sin, of, our, of Satan and the world for us as far as our struggles with it. Uh, the trump of God will be used to assemble all the saints of God into the very presence of Christ in their glorified bodies for the very first time. It's a trump of deliverance, a trump of victory, and also will signal the beginning of, of, of the tribulational period in the Word of God. Now the trump, here's something you've got to remember when we look into eschatology later. The trumpets in Revelation, you cannot confuse them with this trumpet. Okay? If you get, you've got to get that in your mind um, the trumpets and revelations are used to signal the judgments and wrath of God that are to take place on the earth. And when you look at them, you see there's seven trumpets uh, that have seven seals and seven vials of the wrath of God, which will be outpoured upon the earth. This is a complete different trumpet. And so remember that if you go and read Revelation. Now, for time's sake, let, let's go on and, and just talk a little bit about the tribulation. When you're reading through Revelation, understand, if you get this in your mind first, that you see uh, the rapture taking place about chapter 4, the saints are then in heaven from there on out. When you read on through the book of Revelation until we come back with the Lord. In chapter 6 through chapter 19, it provides a, a, a very detailed description of the tribulational period. And because it talks about the trumpets and, and, and the vials and, and the seals, it, it kind of talks about it and goes back and talks about it again. And it, it, it kind of overlaps. And so it's a little confusing when you read it. I get that. Um, but it's talking about the same time period of the tribulational period. Now, say, so, well, where do we get seven years at? Where do we get seven years at? You can come up with it at least two strong ways. Uh, one, you uh, combine the time of the prophesying of the two witnesses. Now, that's found in Revelation chapter 11. And in verse 3, uh, it gives you a very definitive time of how long they're prophesying. Uh, they're in Revelations 11.3. I'm going to read that. 
And we're going to be taking out of here, uh, but God is still going to have upon this earth uh, where they're going to come from. I think they're going to be in Israel. Um, and because what I believe what's going to happen is through these two witnesses, and Revelation talks about 144,000 souls being saved. And that's all, it gives 12,000 from each tribe. And so I think 144,000 Jews are going to be saved during the tribulational period. And some people say, well, do you think any Gentiles will be saved during that time? I do believe some Gentiles will be saved during that time. Uh, some people debate that back and forth. But let me tell you what, if you're here and you're Gentiles and know all you are, don't count on it. <laughs> all right? Um, I think you'd be very foolish to say, well, the Lord, eh, I'll put it off. The Lord comes back, you know. I'll, I'll know the Lord's come back. And then, you don't know that. You don't know that. Uh, but anyhow, in Revelation uh, chapter 11 and verse 3, it talks about these two witnesses that will be here. And it says, And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days. Now that's pretty descriptive. Clothed in sackcloth. So these are the two olive trees. I think these will spring forth from um, the Israel nation. Uh, the olive, we are Gentiles grafted into the olive, olive uh, tree. I think they, so I think this is telling us that they are going to be Jewish. Uh, but anyhow, these two are olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. Let me tell you what, the world's not going to be very happy with these two guys, whomever they be. They're going to hate them, despise them, but some people are going to love them. 144,000 Jews for sure. And what a time on earth that's going to be. And so you can get the, the time there of, uh, there of 1,260 days of their uh, time here of ministry. Uh, you combine that with, with the timing of Revelation and, and how long the beast is said uh, to, to be in power. And you, com, you can come up with seven years right there. Uh, you can look at Revelation 13.5 for that. Uh, but anyhow, the witnesses minister here on the earth for three and a half years, and, and then they're slain by the beast in chapter 11 and verse 7. He, he kills them. Three days later, uh, they rise again. But after that, they ascend into heaven. Let me tell you what, then the wrath of God really comes down. Okay? Now there's wrath through them while they're here. They're doing some pretty awesome things, aren't they themselves? So there's going to be some things there. Let me tell you what, once they leave, it's going to be even worse. Another way to get the seven years is by looking an in-depth study at, at, at what is called Daniel's 70th week. 69 weeks have already been fulfilled. There's a 70th week to be yet fulfilled. When you study it all out, a week represents seven years. We're not going to do all that this morning. We'll do that another day. All right? But some of the main events of the tribulation will be this. One, as we've already mentioned, God's people are going to be taken out. Imagine what that's going to do to the culture then. They think we're trouble now. Wait till we're gone. See what kind of trouble there is then. Now, at first, I think the world's going to be like, Woo! All them troublesome people are gone. They're going to realize real quick how bad it's going to be. But you know, even then, all that's going to go on are still not going to repent, the Bible teaches. But we're going to be removed. And we as Christians, we are preservative. We are salt and we are light. And we're going to be taken out of this world. Very quickly, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2. Understanding this, and then you look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In verse 7, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. We, we the Holy Spirit, is the one that now restrains the, the wickedness, the lawlessness, the ungodliness. If you think ungodliness is abounding now, wait until 
the Holy Spirit that is indwelling all the people of God is taken out of the way. Imagine what it's going to be like then. The spiritual influence of all of God's people will be removed. The world will be in a state of moral, political, and spiritual chaos. Just then really ready to somebody to step in and to bring it all together after that mess. And see, the rapture will really set the stage as well for the Antichrist to come and to set himself up. Because the world's going to be a mess when we're gone. Now, the Antichrist will arise as the one with all the answers to all the world's problems. Now, I think there's going to be a lot of deceit going on, a lot of lies being told uh, by the Antichrist. Um, I personally think that he's going to say the opposite happened. I think he's going to say that the bad people were removed and the good people were left. That's, I have a couple verses on that uh, to, to think that way. and Because and he's going to set himself up in a temple as though he is God. And so, he goes, hey, you just got it backwards. I took the bad people out, purged the bad people from the earth, Right now is the rain. Anyhow, um, that's a whole other issue. But he's going to set himself up. And this world right now is looking currently today for a political leader that can lead the whole earth. He is described as, in Daniel as the one that has a mouth that spoke very great things. In 2 Thessalonians 2, you're already there. It says that in verse 9, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. I mean, he's going to, he's going to show up, and he's going to be wonderful, amazing, the things he's going to accomplish, and people are going to think he's God. I think he's also going to bring a little bit of world peace real quick after that mess happens, when, after we're taken out. He's going to make a covenant with the nation of Israel. And then in the middle of that covenant, he's going to break it. Daniel 8.25 speaks of that. Through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. He shall magnify himself in his heart. And then later it says in Daniel 9.27, speaks about him breaking in the middle of the covenant. So he's going to make a covenant with Israel. Now I know I'm throwing a lot at you this morning, okay? I'm giving you just kind of a skeleton of things that are coming to pass that we'll talk about later in more detail. Giving you the skeleton this morning. Um, at that time also, through his leadership, uh, there's going to be a new world order will be established uh, during his reign. A global religion will take place. Uh, be careful of those. Folks, all of that ecumenicalism, a lot, we've got to be careful about those things. You know what, that's exactly how Satan's going to come on the scene. He's going to be very ecumenical. He's going to combine all religions. He's going to combine all religions. And it's going to be for his own worship, though. Uh, In Revelation chapter 13, Revelation 13, the false prophet that will be going around proclaiming the word of Satan will encourage the nations in great idolatrous worship of the Antichrist. And there we, we have familiar passage there. I know people have heard about these things. Um, very likely about, you know, you have to receive a mark in order to buy or sell. You know, years ago, people were like, how in the world is this going to take place? How is this going to happen? Could you imagine reading this in, in, in Revelation 13, or in, in verses 16 uh, down to verse 17, and, and have to, wouldn't you have to wonder 100 years ago, how in the world is this going to happen? The whole world. He causes both all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now listen, understand this mark was also only given to those who would be willing to worship. Be willing to worship the image of the beast there in verse 15. And so this mark isn't, and I've said this several years ago, but I'm not worried today that somehow me as a child of God, I'm going to accidentally receive the mark of the beast. One, I think that's going to take place after we're gone. But even if we weren't, let's say I'm totally messed up on my theology, my eschatology. Let's say I'm totally messed up and we're here for the whole thing. Don't think it's going to happen. Let's just say if. Folks, as a child of God, we cannot be deceived. 
We're not going to accidentally take the mark. It's going to be associated with the worship of the beast. We have a lot of things, I think, happening today that's preparing people to receive such a thing. I think it's going to be very easy. When, by the time he gets all the things happening today, with, with global money and one world power and the World Economic Forum, the Great Reset, all of these things, if you know anything about all that stuff, listen, all of this is, is preparing people for the rise of the Antichrist. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, oh no, what's going to happen? I'm going to, oh yes, I know what's going to happen. We need a different outlook on these things. Oh no, what are they all going to do? What's the World Economic Forum going to do? Oh no, what's Satan going to do? Oh no, what's the political world going to do? I'm, oh yes, I know what Jesus is going to do. He's going to come back and he's going to, Take us out of here. And even if he left, even if he did leave me here, I'm still okay. Listen, I don't believe God's going to take us out because he couldn't protect us if we were here. I believe it could be like the hailstones coming down all around Joshua and it was killing all their enemies and not killing them if he wanted to do that. I think he's taking us out. I'm just saying, if I was somehow wrong, don't think I am. I got to keep saying that. And we were left, he could protect us right in the middle of it. He can do that. So what are we, I'm, I'm making that point to say this. Why are we worried? Don't be so fearful of, of the plans of man. He, he plans and he schemes and, and he wants to accomplish and rise and, and conquer. And he's against Christians and he's, he's satanic or whatever it may be. But it doesn't matter. It does not matter. What is coming to pass, it's all coming as the Lord had ordained. And the Lord has Satan on a very long leash, and he's called the God of this world. And he's deceiving people. But in the end, it's going to happen exactly like God has said. The judgments of the tribulation, I'm almost done here, I know I need to finish. The judgments of the tribulation are revealed in the seven seals. Go read Revelation. The seven trumpets and the seven vials are in the book of Revelation as well. Go read those. Those are some of the judgments going to come down uh, during that time period. After, after the judgment, of when Christ comes back to, to judge uh, the false prophet and the Antichrist, uh, and he judges political Babylon, uh, we have what's referred to as the Battle of Armageddon in Revelation 16. Uh, the Lord's going to come back. We're going to come back. That's when we're going to come back with Him. We're in heaven, remember? We're going to come back with Him. We see it in Revelation 16, 16 through 21. But we're going to come back with Him, and uh, He's going he's he's to destroy it all. He's going to come back. He's going to cast uh, the Antichrist, the false prophet, in the lake of fire, and um, bind Satan uh, for a thousand years to be thrown to the bottom. Uh, for a thousand years in Revelation chapter 20, and that's where we shall reign on the earth. I don't understand all that. But we're going to reign on the earth with the Lord. We're going to have glorified bodies. There's going to be lost people on the earth. And we're going to reign. The world is going to see what it's like when Jesus Christ literally sits on the throne of David and all of his people are in power and in authority. And it's going to be a time of peace. No war. Some people say, we're in the millennium now. Are you crazy? I'm sorry, but if you have that theology, I'm like, we have wars constantly. There's come a time where there'll be no need for war. Men, men, men will, will change their instruments of war in the plows. They, won't, they know they won't need them. What a time of peace. And after Jesus Christ rules and reigns, a complete peaceful environment, everything good and great, Satan's going to be loosed for a very short season. And even after all of that, he's still going to have a following here upon the earth to rise up against Christ. Because you know what? This world does not want peace. The world wants the absence of Jesus. 
That's the end. <laughs> they don't want peace. Oh, everybody wants peace. No, they don't. No, they don't. They want Jesus Christ to be gone, and they want things their way. Because the world's going to get peace, and they're not going to want it. Because Jesus Christ will be the Prince of Peace, and they're not going to like it. We'll like it. We're going to have fun. <laughs> We're going to have a good time. And uh, I, told Tracy that, I told Tracy the other night, I said, well, I hope if we reign around here, I said, I hope we, we have close cities. I said, you can reign in Burton, I'll reign in Middlefield. And um, I told her that just a few days ago. I don't know how it's going to be. I really don't. So many questions. So many questions. But that's a skeleton a little bit about things going to come to pass. When we get into more of end times, we're going to fill in a lot of that, okay? We're going to fill in a lot of it. And so that's just kind of a, a rough outline of things to come. I'm looking forward to it. I'm really not upset about what I see. and I'm upset in the sense of people are lost and going to hell. Absolutely, I'm upset about that. But I'm not upset at what Satan's trying to do in the sense of upset in the sense of I'm worried and I'm fretting about it in that sense. I'm not worried and fretting. I know Christ has got this. I'm 100% certain about that. Should I sound the alarm? Should I give warning? Should I tell people about how Satan's trying to deceive? Absolutely. And that'll be part of what we will cover and some things to come to pass later. I mean, let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask that you'd use this word. I know I, I kind of stumbled over a bit this morning, Lord, but I pray that you'd take my, uh, Lord, my weak attempt this morning to talk about some of these things and give us a little skeleton of things to come to pass. Uh, use it for your honor and for your glory. And I pray uh, to encourage us as your people, but Lord, I pray especially for the lost that hear this message, Lord, that they would be rattled to their core to understand that, that they need Jesus Christ, that they need Jesus who died on the cross of Calvary for sinners. They need Him. That He is the only way, the truth and the life. And, and the only way to, to be saved and go to heaven and the only way to escape the, the, the judgments on this earth and the eternal judgment in the lake of fire, uh, Lord, is through Christ. Cause them to run to Calvary, to behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And help us as your people not to worry or fret. Help us to sound the alarm of judgment to come. And we need to be more concerned about the judgment of God that's coming upon the earth than what man is doing. And help us to warn people of that judgment that they might run to Calvary. In Jesus' name, and amen.